All right, well, good morning again. It's good to be with you all. If you want to turn with me in your copy of Scripture to Genesis chapter 12, we'll be continuing our study through this series that we're calling Christ in All the Scriptures, that we've labored over the last couple weeks to look at the, the one plan of salvation for God's people in all the Scriptures, and that's centered on the work, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we've talked about several different covenants that God has revealed through His special revelation, the Word of God, both Old and New Testament, and we're walking our way through the whole Bible. We're beginning with the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and we'll be ending with Revelation or, or the final book of the Scriptures. And so what we saw in our first week is that God made a covenant with Adam in the garden, This is what we call the covenant of works, that he was to work and to keep the garden. He was to obey God perfectly, as we said with the children this morning, and that if he did that, he would earn, have the reward of eternal life given to him, Sabbath rest with God forever. But as we saw, this didn't last very long. Adam fell from his state of innocence. He fell into sin, and that's why we see the evil in the world that we see today. That's why we see the death and on the, the dis- disasters. My neighbor had a tree fall on their car this morning. I mean, all of these things are the effects of the fall on creation and on man. But we saw even in the, the wake, even in the shadow of this fall into sin, God promises grace, even in the midst of this. And we looked at this in Genesis 3.15, what we call the covenant of grace, which is the promise of the serpent-crushing seed of the woman, that one will come from Eve that will destroy the devil and the works of the devil, destroy sin, and make all things right. This was the covenant of works with Adam and the covenant of grace promised. And then last week we looked at this covenant with Noah, the Noahic covenant, that even though mankind is fallen and the wickedness increased on the earth as man increased, we saw that God promised to preserve his creation. He gave a sign of that preservation in the form of the rainbow, this promise that God would preserve mankind until the promised seed would come and all those that are in him. So this was the covenant of works and the covenant with Noah. And this morning we come to the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. This is a very big topic. To say I'm intimidated by this is probably an understatement, okay? There's so much in this topic. There's so much debate about what's going on here. Very technical discussion. But we're going to try to try to go through that, try to avoid any landmines, and we're going to try to focus on the work of Christ and what he's done in saving his people from his sins and how the Abrahamic covenant reveals and shows us Christ in the Old Testament. And so what we'll see today is that what's happened from after the flood up into the Noahic covenant is that the nations have multiplied that many have gone out from Noah, that he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and many nations have been formed from this line of people, that these nations now cover the earth. Man has spread. They have been fruitful and multiplied. And the question that we're going to look at this morning is, how is God going to accomplish his promise in Genesis 3.15? How is God going to bring about this seed of the woman? Where is this offspring of the woman going to come from? And the ultimate question is, has God forgotten his promise? That as people have multiplied, as all these nations have come about, 
Has God forgotten His promise of the covenant of grace? And the answer that we're going to see is no, He has not. And that God in His sovereign mercy calls a man named Abraham, an idol worshiper, a pagan, He calls him, makes a covenant with him, and we'll see that from Abraham will come a great nation, a multitude of people, many descendants. These descendants will be given a great land in the land of Canaan, the promised land. These people will become the nation of Israel. God's chosen people in the Old Testament. But ultimately what we'll see this morning is that these point to something greater. That what was really promised to Abraham is one that would come from him that would bless the nations, both Jew and Gentile. The promised offspring, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we'll see how all of the things in the Abrahamic covenant ultimately point to and find their fulfillment in Christ and His covenant and kingdom. That while there are many great earthly, temporary promises given to Abraham and his people, that ultimately what we'll find is that these are a picture, a shadow of what Christ would do and what he would accomplish. So I'm going to read a couple different passages this morning if you want to follow along with me. Um, The first one will be in Genesis chapter 12. We'll see God initiate this covenant with Abraham. We'll look at several verses there. Then if we turn a couple chapters more in Genesis 15, we'll see God confirm his covenant with Abraham, and he'll do it in a very interesting way. And we'll talk about that later. And then finally, we'll look at a couple verses in Genesis chapter 17 where we'll see this covenant expanded. So um, if you want to follow along with me, we'll begin in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, I'm just going to call him Abraham because it's much easier. (laughs) He gets a name change later. (laughs) Spoiler alert. So, okay, so now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see here in just a few short verses that God has initiated this covenant with Abraham and his offspring to make them a great nation, to give them a land, and that in him all the families of the earth will be blessed. Turn now to Genesis 15. We'll see this Abrahamic covenant confirmed. It says in verse 1, Genesis chapter 15, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. 
And then we get this very interesting account in verse 7. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And he said to him, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, and a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And we see in the next couple verses, God tells Abraham, you're going to be a sojourner, you're going to be enslaved in the land of Egypt, but I'm going to judge your enemies, and I'm going to bring you out of the promised land. And then something really interesting happens. Abraham falls asleep. (laughs) Abraham, it says, the sun goes down and a deep sleep falls on Abraham. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And if you turn to verse 17, it says this. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, God made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the land of the Kenizzites, the Kamodites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the, all the ites, okay? And then in verse 17, we see God expand this covenant. He says in verse, seven of verse 17, I will establish my covenant between you, me and you, and your offspring after you, their generations for an everlasting covenant. And then jump down to verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. He shall be circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And then jump down to verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Let's pray this morning. Lord, There is much to say this morning, many verses that we have looked at this morning, many words to cover, and much important things to look at. And if we're honest this morning, Lord, our minds are in a million different places. Um, We're a little bit hot. (laughs) We are um, distracted. Maybe we're weighed down this morning by our sin. Maybe we're struggling with assurance. Maybe we're afraid. We come this morning looking to you, the one who has accomplish salvation in Christ. And as we look this morning at the Old Testament, and as we look at this covenant with Abraham that has many shadowy and picture images, Lord, we pray that this morning you would give us wisdom, that you would unveil the eyes of our hearts this morning, that we might see the true glory of Christ that is revealed even in the first book of the Bible, and that we would see the glory of Christ in saving his people, in redeeming them by the covenant of grace, and that we would glory in that alone this morning. We need your help to do this. We are weak and we are unable to do it apart from the work of your Spirit in our very souls. So minister to us by your Spirit this morning. Give us strength and help us to rest in Christ, we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. 
Amen. So a lot to cover, okay? <laughs> We've been looking at a lot of verses. We're covering a lot of ground. I think it's important that we hear those verses read, and don't worry, we're going to walk through all this this morning. So um, let's begin with the first point on your outline. We look at the world after the flood. That we saw last week that even though the flood event with Noah it wiped out all of humanity, all of creation, except those who were on the ark. Even though it did all this, this great judgment of God, it did not destroy sin. And we see this in the, in the very first event after Noah and his family get off the, off the ark. We see this with Noah's three sons. We see Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham, his youngest son, uncovers his father's nakedness, we're told. He sins against, um, against Noah, and we see he is cursed for this. And his line, this line of Ham, becomes the Canaanites, the people, the enemies of God in the Old Testament. But the other two sons of Noah, they cover their father's nakedness, and they are blessed for this. And we see that Shem's line becomes the line of Israel, the Israelites. And Japheth becomes the people of the Gentiles, the people of the coastland. And it's very interesting, there's a promise in Genesis chapter 9 that through Shem's line, even though Shem's line will become Israel, that Japheth, the people of the Gentiles, will, be, will dwell in the tents of Shem. We'll come back to this later, I promise, but this is Genesis 9, verse 27. It says that Japheth will dwell in the tents of Shem. Very interesting. But the, but the main point to see is that from these three, the nations come. We see the nations spread abroad all over the earth. We see many people multiplied. All the people cover the face of the earth. And we see at this event at Babel, we see the Lord confuse the languages of the people. And there's even more dispersion. There's the dispersion of languages. We see the peoples go out. And so the point is, after this flood event, we see many peoples, we see many nations, we see many languages, we see many tribes. And so the question that we're thinking as we read this is, has God forgotten his promise? Where's the, where's the seed of the woman going to come from? Where is God's promised Messiah going to come from? And so where we're looking at today is that out of this multitude, we see that God in his sovereign mercy calls a man named Abram. God calls a man named Abram, who we'll refer to as Abraham. He comes from the line of Shem. That God calls Abraham out of his country, out of his kindred. He calls him out of his family, out of his pagan idolatry, and God makes a covenant with Abraham. And this is, brings us to our second point this morning, the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. That before this point... In redemptive history, there was no people. There was no place that was specified as God's chosen people or God's geographic location. A, a prom there was no promised land. There was no people. There was none of this. And this covenant with Abraham that we read about in Genesis 12, 15, and 17 creates this people. It creates a specific people, the people of Israel. It creates a specific land, the land of the promised land of Canaan, and it creates a specific offspring that will come and bless the nations. This is the Abrahamic covenant. And so what we're going to look at this morning in these three sort of subpoints, we're going to look at Genesis 12, the covenant initiated. 
We're going to look at Genesis 15, the covenant confirmed, and then we're going to look at Genesis 17, the covenant expanded. So we see that this God comes to Abraham. <laughs> he didn't have to come to Abraham. He didn't have to choose him, but he does. He comes to Abraham. This covenant is sovereignly imposed by God, and he makes his covenant with Abraham. And in this case, he initiates this covenant. And he promises to him in Genesis chapter 12, I will make you a great nation. I will give you and your offspring this land, and from you will come one that will bless the nation. So we see the promise of a land, a people, and one that will come from him that will bless the nations. And this covenant is made with Abraham and his offspring. Abraham will be the, the head of this covenant, and his offspring after him will be a part of this covenant. So it's very simple in one sense, right? There's a promise to Abraham, you're going to have a great nation, you're going to have many people come from you, you're going to be given this land, and this is the promise. This is the, the promise that God made to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. But this is not all of God said to Abraham. We got to go to Genesis 15. So if you want to turn there, we'll see that God continues in this confirmation of the covenant, that Abraham had no heir at this time. He had, he's like, you promised me descendants. You promised me a great nation. I'm really old. <laughs> I don't have any kids. <laughs> and my wife, she's also very old. And she's barren. And so how is this going to happen? And we see Abraham ask God, how am I to know? How am I going to know that you're going to fulfill this promise? And it's not that Abraham is somehow questioning God or just screaming, you know, Lord, just, you know, She'll give me a sign. What he's saying is he wants confirmation. He wants to know that God is going to confirm this in this covenant confirmation. And we see God answers Abraham and he confirms his promise to him in a very, very interesting way. We see that God confirms his promise to Abraham by essentially knocking him out. <laughs> he falls asleep and in a theophonic picture of smoke and fire, God passes through these animal pieces that have been cut in half. And you're thinking, I did not know that was in the Bible, right? I <laughs> this is probably the thing that I think most people um, forget about when it comes to the promise with Abraham. We're familiar with the Sunday school story about the stars and the sky and all those things, but the cut in half animals and God passing through them, that, you're not going to find that in most Sunday school classrooms. So what does this mean? What do we see here? We see God tell Abraham to bring him animals and cut them in half. We see Abraham falls into a deep sleep and God passes through the parts of the animals in what we call a theophany. Theophany, which is a fancy word for a visible manifestation of God's presence. God is invisible. He is spirit. You cannot see God, but he manifests himself sometimes in the Old Testament through what we call theophanies. If you're familiar with the glory cloud in the temple, this is a theophany, a, man, a visible manifestation of God's presence. And essentially, God passes through these animal parts in a pillar of smoke and fire. And you might be thinking, what in the world does this mean? <laughs> what does this mean? Why are there animals that are cut in two why is Abraham asleep in the corner, and why does God pass through these animal pieces? What in the world does this mean? 
And this is what we call God confirming His promise to Abraham. He is swearing an oath. This is what we call an oath ratification ceremony. And there's much that we can say about this. That what is happening here in Genesis 15 is at the heart of a covenant. It's at the very heart of what a covenant is. Remember, a covenant is agreement between two or more people with sanctions, with curses for disobedience. And in the book of Jeremiah, we see this custom of the splitting of the animals and walking between them, we see this explained. And what's kind of interesting is this was actually a common practice in the ancient Near Eastern day, in the treaties that, that people would make in the ancient Near East. There would be a great king called a suzerain, and he would make treaties or agreements or covenants with lesser kings or vassal kings. And so there would be a great king and there would be a lesser king. And when a great king would come and want to make a commitment with a lesser king, what they would do is they would swear an oath. They would make an agreement. But in order to make this agreement binding, they would perform this ceremony. They would take animals, they would cut them in half, and they would walk the path of blood between the two animals. Signifying This might sound odd to us, like, what in the world? (laughs) What is this? This is where we get the term, the cutting of a covenant. This was to be a physical picture of the curses of the covenant. That if either party did not keep or uphold their promise or commitment, that what happened to the animals would happen to them. What happened to the animals would happen to them. That the curses of the covenant would fall on them. We read about this explained in Jeremiah 34. God says this, I will make them, that is the the false people of Judah, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. God is explaining this ceremony. He's saying the curses are going to fall on you. Just like you pass between these two animals, so the curses of the covenant will fall on all that disobey. And there's not really a great modern example of this, right? (laughs) There's not really a ceremony that we perform in this same way, but God is in his providence, he's using a common practice of the time to show how much greater his covenant and his promises than any earthly man-made covenant or promise. And what is really interesting about this, this is the key thing that we need to see, what's so unique about this is what's, what's going on is God alone is passing through. Abraham is not going with him. Abraham is asleep in the corner. God alone is passing through these animal pieces. And what is happening here is God is taking the curses upon himself. He is saying, if I do not fulfill my promise to you, may what happened to these animals happen to me. One theologian, Meredith Klein, says this, By undergoing this ritual, God declared, in effect, that if he failed to fulfill the promises of the covenant, he was like these creatures to be slain and devoured as a feast for the fowls. As God passed through these halves in theophany, he took the death oath upon himself to pass through the way between the row of severed carcasses is to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Such was the malediction that the Lord conditionally evoked upon himself. God is saying, if I don't keep my word, then may this happen to me. 
And so what we see is this, covenant, this promise given to Abraham is confirmed. It's confirmed in this ceremony. So this, it goes from a promise to a covenant. It goes from initiation to confirmation. And we see the covenant summarized in, to your offspring, I will give this land. That even though the people of Israel will be enslaved for 400 years, God is going to judge their enemies. He's going to bring them to the promised land. God is going to multiply Abraham's descendants, his offspring. He's going to give them the promised land, and he will do this. He's promised and covenanted to Abraham. It's a sure thing. It's It's a guarantee. You can take it to the bank. And yet we see that this is not the complete story. That God goes on in Genesis chapter 17 to expand this covenant. That God has shown Abraham what he's going to do. He has promised it. He's confirmed it. He said, this is what I'm going to do. But in verse 9 of Genesis 17, we see this transition from what God is going to do to what Abraham and his offspring must do. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 9, he says, You, Abraham shall keep my covenant. You shall keep my covenant. That this is the same verb, keep, that's used in the garden with Abraham. Abraham, I mean, sorry, Adam. Adam was called to guard and to keep the garden. This same word is used with Abraham, that this is a demand for strict obedience. That Abraham is to obey God by keeping the covenant. And the question is, what, how does he keep the covenant? What does this mean? The answer that God gives is circumcision. That Abraham and his male offspring were to be circumcised, which is the cutting off of the foreskin of the male reproductory organ. That this is going to be a sign of the covenant, a sign of the promises of the covenant. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, oh, uh, what do we see in circumcision? What, what, how is this a picture of the promises of God? It's kind of very, another very odd thing to our, to our minds when we think about this, but as we contemplate it and we look at all of Scripture, it actually makes a lot of sense. Why would God use this sign? Is to show the promises of the covenant. What are the promises? A multitude of descendants. Many people are going to come from Abraham's line, his offspring. And circumcision is what marked the people of the covenant. There was no circumcision of God's people before Abraham. This marks the people of the covenant. That these people, Abraham's offspring, were circumcised according to God's command. And they had a legal covenantal right to the land of Canaan. God said, as my people, this is what you have. This is the promise of the covenant. Those that have this mark are the people of the covenant, they are given the land of Canaan. But what this also did is that it said that there would be a blessing that would come from Abraham, one from his line and offspring, that would bless the nations. And so, hence the focus on the male reproductory organ, this is what the promises of the covenant were. But circumcision also shows us the curses of the covenant, the penalties of violating this covenant. We see this In Genesis chapter 17, verse 14, he says, Anyone who is uncircumcised will be cut off because they have broken the covenant. Anyone who is uncircumcised will be cut off. They have broken the covenant. That disobedience to God's positive law of circumcision forfeited 
an individual's rights and blessings to the promises of the covenant. That this circumcision was a sign of judgment. It was a sign of being cut off. And we see here in covenant and in the covenant of circumcision, both the blessings of the covenant and the curses. Sam Renahan says this, Circumcision thus signified not only the special promises that God made to Abraham and his descendants, but it also served as a sign of the cursed sanctions for Abraham and his descendants. Just as God passed through the animals as a self-directed threat, so also God placed Abraham and his descendants under threat. If they did not obey, they would be cut off from the people, just as their flesh had been cut off. The one who does not cut off his foreskin will be cut off from the covenant. Circumcision was thus a promise of blessing and a threat of curses at the same time. That circumcision showed the promises. You will inherit the land of Canaan. I'm going to give this to you. But the people needed to also keep the covenant of circumcision. And that is how they knew that if they did not, they would be cut off from the people of God. So this is the Abrahamic covenant. A lot of information. Three whole chapters of the Bible, essentially. But this is the Abrahamic covenant. Initiated, confirmed by God in this oath ceremony, and expanded with the sanction and the sign of circumcision. And so as we go through the Old Testament, we see that this is expanding. This is where it all begins with Israel, is with Abraham. And we see as we go through the Scriptures that God is going to be faithful to fulfill His promise to Abraham. He's not going to go back on His Word. That God will provide a son, the son of Isaac, the, the child of promise. And that from Abraham is going to come Isaac and Jacob and the twelve tribes of the people of Israel. And we read about in Joshua chapter 24 that God is going to fulfill the promise of the land. It says that in Joshua chapter 24 that God gave Israel all the land that He swore to them. So God fulfills His promise of the land. He said He would give it, and He gave it to the people of Israel. In 1 Kings chapter 4, we see that Judah and Israel were as many as the sand of the sea. So God fulfilled His promise of a descendant. So God kept his end of the deal. He gave them the land. He gave them the descendants that were as many as the sand in the sea. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. And yet, and yet, as we zoom out, we see that even though at the earthly level, the promises of the earthly people and the earthly land had been fulfilled, as we zoom out and look at all of Scripture, we see that this Abrahamic covenant ultimately pointed forward beyond itself to the fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. That the land and the people were pictures. They were types and shadows of Christ and His kingdom. And that the Abrahamic covenant is not separate, it's not disconnected from Christ and His covenant, but it looks forward to, it anticipates, it pictures, it promises, and it reveals God's covenant of grace. And this brings us to our third and final point this morning, the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. 
that we see here the fulfillment of all things in the person and work of Christ. That what was promised to Adam and the serpent-crushing seed of the woman, what was promised to Abraham and the offspring that would bless the nations is fulfilled in Christ. <laughs> he is the one that the promised look forward to. He is the offspring of Abraham that would bless the nations. And this is what the New Testament tells us. The, what's the, does anybody know the first verse in the New Testament? Matthew 1.1. It says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Genealogy, tune out skip to the next chapter. No, it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, <laughs> the son of Abraham. So the scripture is screaming to us, the promised one is here. The, the Messiah is here. The Christ is here. The one that would come from Abraham is here. And he's going to be different than the people of the Old Testament. Unlike Israel, who would fail over and over again, who would sin against God, who would break the covenant, who would disobey God, who would be exiled. All these things Jesus would never do. He would come as the perfect and beloved Son of God and Son of Abraham. He never broke the covenant. He fulfilled it at every single point. He obeyed the whole law. And yet... And yet, in his crucifixion, he would be the one that would undergo the covenant judgment. He would walk the way of blood. That his body on the cross would be broken. The rock of ages cleft for his people. That he would take the covenant sanctions upon himself just as God had done in walking between the animals. God Himself, in the person of Christ, would walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And not only that, not only would God fulfill that covenant ratification ceremony, but on the cross, Christ would become a curse for us and for His people. He would be cut off from the land of the living is what Isaiah 53 says, that this curse, this sign of judgment, this sign of circumcision, this perfect covenant keeper would be treated as, as if he was a covenant breaker. On the cross, as we read this morning, he would become accursed for us. He would undergo the wrath of God so that covenant breakers like you and I might have the blessing of the new covenant fulfilled in his blood. And He not only secured our perfect righteousness in the new covenant, but He took the full weight and curse of the law that our sin deserved so that we might be justified by faith. <laughs> That's our hope this morning. It's not in an earthly land. It's not in an earthly people. It's in Christ and Him crucified. And so this blessing to the nations that's promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 is not ultimately about an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one. It's not ultimately about an earthly land in Canaan. It is about a heavenly promised land, the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. It's not about an earthly people born from Abraham's family, but about a spiritual people born again sharing Abraham's faith. So hopefully we can start to see how all these pictures in the Old Testament point forward to and find their fulfillment in Christ and what he would do in his life, death, and resurrection. 
He is the one that circumcision pointed to. He is the one that all of the promises of Abraham pointed to. The promised land of Canaan was always meant to be a picture of heaven, of the new creation. And the nation of Israel was always meant to be a type and shadow of Christ and his church. And so we can say this with confidence that the shadows have given way to the substance in Christ. That the Old Testament is full of shadows and pictures, types of what Christ would do, but because Christ has come, they've fallen away. <laughs> they still point to Him, but there's no need for them. That the shadows in the Old, Old, the Old Testament revealed Christ, but they were not Christ Himself. Christ and His, and his substance cast a shadow on the Old Testament. And this is what Paul labors to show us again and again, is that these things have fallen away. The shadows, the pictures, the types. We don't need sacrifices anymore. We don't need the, ant- the blood of bulls and goats. We need Christ and His perfect spotless blood. That we can't go back to the shadows. We can't go back to the types, the sacrifices, the physical people that we have been made new in Christ, that what Christ has come to do is fulfill all these, and so all of them find their purpose and fulfillment in Him. And what's, and this kind of brings us to our application this morning, that as we step back from what we've looked at this morning, this promise, this covenant with Abraham, and how it points forward to Christ, we see that this is how Abraham was saved. This is how Abraham was saved, was the gospel revealed through the types and shadows. What does it say in Genesis 15? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. John 8 says, Abraham rejoiced to see the day of Christ. Galatians 3 says the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. Romans 3 says the law and the prophets bear witness to a righteousness that is to be received by faith. And this is what Paul calls the mystery of Christ in the Old Testament. That it was revealed in shadows, in types and pictures, and it came to full flower and fulfillment in the New Testament. That Christ and all His benefits were revealed to the Old Testament saints, to Abraham, to Adam. to Go to Hebrews 11, you'll see the, the hall of fame of faith. They're all people that were looking forward to the Christ who was to come. And they saw this through the promises in the Old Testament. This is what Abraham looked to. He heard the promise, you'll have one from you that will bless the nations. And he was looking forward to the Christ who was to come. That Abraham is saved in the same way that you and I are, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So this helps us to kind of see Christ in all the scriptures. That's the whole point of what we're doing here this morning, is that we should look at the Old Testament and not just stop at the earthly, the earthly, the carnal, the temporary, but the literal, but we should see what God is doing through these promises, types, and shadows. He's showing us what Christ would do. And so this picture of Abraham and the covenant with him is really a picture of something greater and other than itself. This is what Sam Renahan says, its land, its people, and its kingship were pictures of a greater land, a greater people, and a greater kingship. That the church is not a departure from God's dealing with Israel, 
but rather the church was the natural fulfillment of God's plan. What do we say in Genesis chapter 9? That Japheth, the Gentiles, will dwell in the tents of Shem. (laughs) That the Gentiles will be a part of the people of God. This was a part of God's plan from the beginning. It's not a new plan of God. This was the plan from the beginning. The purpose of choosing the people of Israel was so that the Christ would come. He is the one that circumcision looked forward to, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham that would bring a blessing to every tribe, tongue, and nation. (laughs) Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. All nations that Christ and His church are the destination. They're not a detour from God's plan. They're the destination. And so we can see how we have to be very careful with how we interpret the Old Testament. And this is kind of a technical thing, but I think it's very important that we look at this, that, we, that this idea of Christ in the Old Testament helps us see rightly what God is doing. That it, it keeps us from two extremes when we come and try to interpret the Old Testament. The, on the one hand, we can tend to focus on the physical, the physical blessings, the physical people of Israel, the physical land that God gave them, and we can miss what God was doing and pointing forward to the work of Christ. But on the other hand, we can sometimes skip over the physical promises and we can go straight to Christ and we forget about the earthly promises that God gave to Abraham and his people. And so we don't want to flatten out the scriptures like that. We want to see rightly what God is doing, that this physical earthly promises that God gave to Abraham we're meant to be a picture. And so we can think of it like this. There's a first level fulfillment in the physical, in what God would do through Israel, but those things pointed forward to and anticipated the second level fulfillment of what God would do in Christ, that God would fulfill all of these promises through the person and work of Christ. And so as we walk away this morning and as we try to apply this passage, and as we try to think about what this means for our lives, this is the biggest thing that we can see this morning, is that the same way that Abraham was saved is the same way that you and I are saved. That it is by faith in Christ who has come. (laughs) That's how we're saved. It's not through our works. It's not through sacrifices. Christ did everything. He took the curse. He walked the way of blood. He took the sanctions upon Himself so that we could be counted as righteousness. And what does it say in Galatians? That we, by faith, are called sons of Abraham. (laughs) We are called sons and offspring of Abraham. That it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That by faith in Christ and all that He did, we are the true offspring of Abraham in Christ, who is the true and better Israel. And in the new covenant, this covenant in Christ, believers are given the sign, not of circumcision, but of baptism. This is the sign of the new covenant, that the curses have been removed and that Christ has taken the judgment that we deserved. And so the sign of the covenant, it is not given to the people of Abraham's family, but the people of Abraham's faith. It is given to those that have a credible profession of faith. The need for a physical line or a physical lineage has passed away in Christ. We need to filter all of these things through the cross of Christ. So it's no longer by procreation that the gospel is spread, but
but it's through proclamation. It's through the gospel being proclaimed. This is what Christ came to do and fulfilled all the promises that he gave to Abraham, not only at the earthly level, but in sending Christ, the seed of Abraham, that would bring us to the heavenly promised land, the heavenly Jerusalem, where we would dwell with him forever, the new heavens and the new earth. This is what Abraham was looking forward to, it says in Hebrews 11. This is what you and I are looking forward to. So let's praise God for his grace this morning. Lord, we thank you for your covenant with Abraham, that it reveals and shows us much of what you would do in Christ. Not only that Christ would come, but that he would fulfill all the promises and types of the Old Testament, that he would be the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head, the offspring of Abraham that would bring justification to both Jew and Gentile. The one plan and purpose of God in all of Scripture finds its fulfillment in Christ. And so this morning, Lord, help us to see this. Help us to worship you for your grand plan of redemption. That is not a plan B. It's not a second way of salvation. It is the only way of salvation found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, may our faith be in him. May we rest in the promise that he has taken the curse for us, that our sin was placed on him on the cross. He took the wrath. He was cut off for us, so that in him we might be justified by faith alone. So help us to trust in Christ this morning. Help us to look to him. And as we walk away from here, may we live the life of people that have been saved by God, that have been set apart and consecrated to him, that baptism is a sign of our new creation, that there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but only a new creation. Help us to walk this out by the help of your Spirit this morning. May we walk in newness of life. May we be changed from one degree of glory to the next. And may we trust in your promises that you will fulfill them. You will bring about all things that you have promised. And we have a hope, a guarantee, an oath. And you won't break your oath. That's our hope this morning. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.